I don't know if you've been paying attention, but the last 18 months have been brutal. 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 I got a picture for you. Brutal. Okay? Um, pandemic. A hotly contested presidential election. People have lost their ever-loving minds, haven't they? Come on, this is church. You can be honest. People have lost their ever-loving minds, haven't they? Yes. yes. More than once, Jenny has said to me in the past year, I miss the Max by the lake. I miss the Max who has a smile on his face. Uh, I miss the Max I fell in love with. Where is he? Where is he? Now, there have been times in my life where I've been the best version of myself, and there have been times in my life where I have been a broken and corrupted version of myself. And the same is true of you grown-ups. By the way, the contracted form of grown-up is grump, just in case you didn't know that. Now, for those of you here today that are younger than the age of 25, you might want to sit up and pay attention because I'm going to talk about something that trips up most adults by the time they hit their mid to late 30s, okay? And it matters, okay? In life, you get glimpses of the real you. You get glimpses of the real you. The best version of me has something encouraging to say to people. The best version of me is always willing to make a meal for somebody or help somebody move. The best version of me is able to be patient with others and where they are in life. That's the best version of me. John Ortberg says that these are signposts to the real you. In other words, the person that you're meant to be, the person that God made you to be, the real you. In a word, it's what happens when you're flourishing. You're free. Jesus said he came to set people free. Jesus was the freest man who ever lived. Most Americans right now, however, are languishing, languishing. They're having a tough time. They're angry. They're triggered. And they are not saying very many things that are encouraging, particularly online. They are just having a rough go. People flourish, by the way. They flourish when they're living life the way God meant for them to live life, when they're able to be themselves, the best version of themselves. Part of that is discovering who you're meant to be. But part of that is being and staying connected to God, the God who made you, the God who redeemed you, the God who wants to sustain you every step that you take and every breath that you take in this life. And today, today I want you to hear his voice. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus, and I want you to flourish. I want this for you, Generations Community Church. So I have to talk to you again about shepherds, sheep, and a sheep pen. That's where we have to go today in order to talk about a flourishing life, because whether or not you realize this, in the Bible, there are many metaphors. And one of the big metaphors of the Bible is that we are sheep. Everybody get your bleeding voice ready. <laughs> On the count of three, I want you to bleat like sheep. One, two, three. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Some of you are some goats in there, but that's okay. Okay, so, <laughs> so John chapter 10, Jesus talks about shepherds, sheep, and a sheep pen. 
And he says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. So Jesus is talking about a shepherd, sheep, and a sheep pen. Now, in the ancient Near East, a sheep pen was a low-walled thing that was close to somebody's house. You would bring the sheep into town at night, okay? And the shepherd, this guy's posing for a photograph because he's a tourist, the shepherd would be right where that tourist is in the opening, okay? The shepherd would be there. So a sheepfold was typically shared by four or five families. All of the sheep would be put into the sheepfold at night. And in the morning, each shepherd would come out and at the gate do his little thing. I don't know what it was. I remember being on the farm once with Daniel and Daniel had a call for the cows and the little happy cows would come running to Daniel because that was the little, they were accustomed. Follow the voice of Daniel and there will be good food and good pasture and I will be well cared for. So shepherd by shepherd comes to the gate, does their little call. I can't whistle real well. And their sheep and their sheep only come out of the pen and follow their shepherd. And so in the morning, the sheep, in a sense, are sorted, and each flock follows their shepherd. Ken Bailey says this, when a new family buys a sheep from others, it takes a while. Because uh, while the other sheep follow, the new one will stay behind, often agitated until it can be trained. It simply will not follow an unfamiliar voice. Now, Jesus here is the shepherd. In case you missed that part of the metaphor, Jesus knows and cares for his sheep and his sheep know and trust him. Why is this important? Because there's the wilderness. There's the non-sheep pen part of life. And if you're a sheep and you're out in the wilderness, I hate to tell you this, but there's bandits. And then there's predators that want to eat you. So for those of you that have been paranoid and have thought somebody's out to get me, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Spiritually speaking, you're not wrong. Someone is out to get you, okay? So Jesus continues in verse six. He says this. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration, they didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. Surely this will set them straight. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep didn't listen to them. Yes, I'm the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will have good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Wait a minute. So first you're telling me Jesus is the shepherd and now he's the gate. Now he's not just the good shepherd. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the point of entry into God's family. Now, if I go back to the sheepfold, to that gate, 
at night as the sheep are coming in, one of the things the shepherd will do with his staff, his crook, is prop open the neck of those little sheep, <coughs> check for wounds, check the lanolin of the sheep and make sure the sheep is not wounded, doesn't need care and can go into the sheep pen safely at night. Once you go through the gate, you're safe for the night because you're under the care of the shepherd. You're safe from predators. Now thieves, on the other hand, thieves, remember, will sheep follow a stranger's voice? No. Will sheep follow a stranger's voice? No. So if you're gonna steal a sheep, you've gotta climb over the fence and you've gotta first slit the throat of a sheep that you're gonna take because that sheep isn't gonna follow you, right? This is powerful stuff. Following the lead of Jesus will take you to green pastures and still waters. So Jesus has more to say, and that's verse 11 and following. He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Jesus is contrasting himself with the false shepherds of Israel who got rich and fat off of other people's income and money and who didn't really care about the people that they were supposed to shepherd. In the previous chapter, there's a man who's born blind and he's thrown out of the synagogue because he got healed. <laughs> he's thrown out of the synagogue because he got healed. No, Jesus has mercy on this man who was born blind. Jesus heals him, and Jesus will defend and guide his sheep, even if it means giving up his own life, okay? So if this is a spiritual metaphor, and Jesus is the shepherd, and we're the sheep, I wonder who some of the predators are. Hmm, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. There are some voices that you're gonna hear in your head that are not your voice and not the voice of the good shepherd. Some of those voices will say these things to you. Who are you to do that? You think you can do that based on what you've done, based on what you've said, or you're too late. You think you can save this marriage? Gone. You think you can save your wayward son, your wayward daughter? Gone. You're too late. You're too late. Uh, you're so stupid, fat, worthless, right? These are voices. They're said to you. I'm telling you. Come on. It happens. These are the voices of predators. I'm going to tell you one thing right here clear. Generations Community Church. Jesus, the good shepherd, does not talk to his sheep like that. If you have those voices in your head, take it to the bank today. It is not Jesus Christ. It is not Jesus, the good shepherd. What does Jesus say? My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I want you to say this with me because I'm not sure you believe it. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. John Ortberg, in his book, The Me I Want to Be, he takes this metaphor a step further, and he suggests that there are some counterfeit me's that are inauthentic voices, that are bad voices, that are trying to rob 
a rich and satisfying life from me. And the first group, the first kind of counterfeit me is the me I pretend to be. This is someone who's trying to convince other people they're important while on the inside believing that they're not important. They can sometimes come across as arrogant or full of themselves, even though on the inside they're fighting off huge insecurity. Um, in my chamber settings, they're the name droppers. Oh, yes, when I was at Mitch McConnell's house last week, or, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Though they want you to think highly of them. They're trying to pretend. But pretending is a lot of hard work. After a first date, after a job interview, they're exhausted because they've got to put all this energy into being somebody that they're not. It's tiring. So that's one counterfeit me. Another counterfeit me is the me I think I should be. This is someone who struggles with comparison, who believes they should be like another person. You see it in the mom who goes over to another mom's house and the other mom's house is spotless and the other mom's children are just utterly compliant and that mom goes home and that mom is like, my house should be like that house. My children, children, you should be like them. <laughs> right? That's a lot of shoulds. Small church pastors can succumb to this. I should be like Andy Stanley. I should be like Rick Warren, only without the Hawaiian shirt. I should be like, what? There's a lot, again, a lot of shoulds in that, okay? Uh, it can happen when you fall in love. A man falls in love with a woman and they get married and, and so outgoing Oscar ends up with Solitude Sally. In the first year of their marriage, Solitude Sally gets up and she has an hour and a half devotional in her craft room, because they don't have kids yet, she has an hour and a half devotion in her craft room. And what does uh, uh, outgoing Oscar conclude? I must not love God. I can't do that. <laughs> I should be like Solitude Sally. Again, a lot of shoulds. A lot of shoulds. The me, I think I should be. By the way, all comparison usually ends up in guilt. Or pride that then turns into guilt. <laughs> It's just a, it's a bad, bad, bad world, okay? Then there's the me other people want me to be. This is someone who never feels free to be themselves, but feels an obligation to become whatever another person wants or another person needs. Oh, my mom wants me to call her every single day because she called her mom every single day and I just can't. Or, ugh, my boss has pulled me aside again and told me that I've got to be more outgoing. I've got to be energetic. Does he not know how much energy it takes just to crunch these numbers, right? So for this person, you're keenly aware that other people have an agenda for you. And you're working so hard to try and please them. Again, it's a counterfeit me. And then there's the me that I'm afraid God wants me to be. This is someone who struggles to trust God and who isn't sure that God is truly good. God wants me to be perfect. I guess I'll follow. How many rules are there in the Bible? 613. Oh, and you know, they end up, usually they reduce God to this, follow all these rules, follow all these rules. I went to Wheaton College. Wheaton College is the school that produced Dr. Billy Graham. And I'm going to tell you, when I was in school, we had super Christians, 
Woo! Super Christians. They had their devotional time every morning. They were involved in every ministry on campus. They were busy doing work for the Lord every summer. Paul, they went on mission trips. I was working my butt off, slowing tar on roofs to try and make enough money for tuition. And they were out saving the world, right? Super Christians. The me I'm afraid God wants me to be. We have this tendency to equate uh, God with rules. And while it's true that God prizes obedience, Jesus did not say, I have come that you might finally follow all the rules. He did not show up and say, okay, now, now you're all finally going to get your act together, right? <laughs> I have come that they may have a rich and satisfying life. So uh, there's one more, the me that fails. And for a lot of people, because of the pandemic, I find that a lot of Americans are here, okay? The me that fails, this is someone who is missing emotional, mental, or spiritual vitality. If they're honest, they would say, yeah, I'm languishing. Oh, I'm languishing. They're weary, and they've lost a sense of purpose or meaning. Uh, we have language in America that describes this. They'll say, oh, I feel like I'm stuck in a dead-end marriage. I feel like I'm stuck in a dead-end job. And they'll, lose, they'll use language of stuckness to describe their life as though they've been globbed with all this goopy, sticky stuff that, that cements them into this awful place, the me that fails. Okay? These are counterfeit me's. These are not the real you's. These are counterfeits. But it begs the question, are you flourishing these days or are you languishing? Are you you? Are you you? Are you caught up trying to be somebody that you're not? So let me suggest some practical ways of maybe some initial steps toward a flourishing life. And over the next couple of weeks, I really want to flesh this out. First of all, rebirth is absolutely necessary. It's what uh, they were just talking about. You must be born again to become one of the sheep of God's pasture. And it's something you can't do on your own. It's a work that God does in you to change you from the inside out. And it's got parts, right? Part of it is saying yes to God. Part of it is Jesus tells a story of two people who go into the temple to pray. And one person is like, I am so glad I'm not like all the plebes out there who suck eggs. I am awesome. And then there's the other guy who comes in and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a miserable sinner. And Jesus says, be like this guy. <laughs> okay? So there's this response to Jesus. Yes, have mercy, and I will follow. Help me follow. Okay? The second thing is to assess where you are. And I've got a couple of questions that might help. Am I growing more easily discouraged these days? Am I growing more easily irritated these days? Again, the past 18 months have been laden with trauma. I don't know if you know this, but you've been traumatized. You have. You're the ants in the jar that got shook up. You've been traumatized. And you may say, oh, well, I wasn't the victim of a mass shooting. Like, I, like I wasn't in something like that, Max. That's trauma. Like, I just got locked in my house. There's trauma. 
One of the reasons Americans are uh, responding so emotionally to things these days is because that's what people with trauma do. People with trauma, the littlest thing, ah, it's the end of the world, right? That's part of what trauma does to people. And y'all have been traumatized. All of us have been traumatized, which may mean that there's a lot of languishing that's going on. And then the last thing is simply rest. Rest. You know, this is the one commandment out of the Ten Commandments that any preacher in America can violate consistently, and their governing board will never call them to task on it. This is the one commandment where you can, you know, you can violate all kinds of things uh, and get in trouble, but this one, you can violate it as the day is long, and people will not skip a beat. Um, but rest is something all of us need. And I'm going to suggest something that may cause some of you to rise up in rebellion, and that's simply this. If this is your definition of rest, I'm not looking at my hand. I'm looking at a device in my hand. <laughs> that is not rest. No one ever after binge watching a series of something on Netflix says, I feel positively restored. No one, <laughs> no one ever says that, <laughs> okay? Rest is something that truly is for you and your body. And we've talked about this in other places about recreating and meals with friends and family and, and just being able to just be instead of doing. But, but rest is something that is a needed part of flourishing. The good shepherd will give you rest. That's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd of everything I need. He leads me where? Besides still waters, to green, verdant meadows. That's where the good shepherd leads me, okay? Which leads me to a story about Branch. So Jenny grew up with a young man uh, in her church family named Branch. Branch was Branch the third. Branch the third, which meant that there was a Branch the second and a Branch the first. So the men in that family all decided that they would just name their kids the same name. So I never did that with mine because I had a freak out about that. So, <laughs> so, so Branch the third, all growing up, Branch had his father, Branch the second, who was a really great doctor, just an amazing doctor. And Branch the second wanted nothing more than for his son to be just like him. I mean, what dad doesn't want that, right? I mean, aren't you awesome dads? Aren't you awesome dads? <laughs> right? And so... All growing up, Branch the third knew, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. And he did. He worked hard in math and science, and then he, he went to medical school. Kendra, he went to medical. He completed medical school. Medical school. And in starting residency, he finally got the gumption and the goat to announce to the whole world, I'm going to sing. <laughs> and you know what the church did? The church did a big old freak out, right? What do you mean you're going to sing? You can sing on Sundays in a worship band. Get your butt out there and be a doctor, right? Like, you know, <laughs> you went to school for crying out loud. And so a few years ago, uh, Jenny and I were back home where she grew up, and I got to hear him sing. And if I can quote Forrest Gump, he had the voice of an angel. He did. The guy can sing. I mean, holy cow, and he had just finished a tour of Europe. Was he making what he would make as a doctor? No, <laughs> absolutely not. 
Were there some hard things about his life? Oh, yeah. But you know what? He was flourishing. He was flourishing. That's what I want for you guys and for me is flourishing. That's what Jesus came to give. Again, I came to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's my, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I want to pray for you and pray for me. Father, thank you for the gift of today. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Give us understanding in our hearts. Help us to be more and more free. Help us to be more and more the people that you made us to be. Help us to quit looking at other people and looking in the other lanes and doing the whole comparison thing. Help us, Lord. We want more freedom. We want that rich and satisfying life that comes by following you, living a life of obedience to you, and allowing our life to speak. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.